Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to ed up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. This is Dr. Joe Salustio. I'm back with you again. And you know, uh, as I, I have a sob story, and I got to say it here. I was looking for a guest co-host today. I couldn't find one. And I searched all over LinkedIn. But finally, I was led to an amazing person who volunteered to guest co-host with me. Um, I've I've been trying to find ways to use my sad violin music, so I had a plan for this whole thing. Uh, But here she is, ladies and gentlemen. She's here again and again and again. Her name is Erica Leodis, and she's executive director of AFIT. What's up, Erica? You know, I think the first time I was on this podcast, I had like trumpet and fanfare, and now I've gotten demoted to the sad violin. Erica Leodis, everyone. There it is. How do you like? Why do we keep coming back for this abuse? The sad violin was for me because I was like, you know, I was like, who's going to just come crush this episode with me? And then, of course, I remembered you, Erica. Um, And you've been back now like this the fourth or fifth time you've been co hosting, isn't it? You know, I've lost count. It's just been so much fun. I can't even keep track anymore. Well, you know, when we get together, hold on tight. This is going to be a bumpy ride. Um, And mostly due to you that the bumpy ride happens not me because i'm a polished <laughs> professional here and everything i do is perfect clearly speaking of perfect um i'd like to say that we have a perfectly dressed guest today um he is uh he's doing some amazing things um i've got to get him get him let me see if i can get him uh get him a proper introduction here because he's ready to talk and he's far worse looking than me ladies and gentlemen <laughs> his name is dr charles lloyd and he's president of white mountains community college what's going on Chuck? Thanks for having me. A great, great face for radio, they always tell me. So it's, uh, yeah, it's I, bet. Be, I, I bet everybody tells you that. <laughs> uh, what's going on? So so we're happy to have you here. Of course, you have a sign that everybody can't see because this is audio only. Uh, but you do have a sign right behind you that says, live in the dream. So you must be living the dream at White Mountains Community College. So level set for us. Where is White Mountains Community College? What yeah. do you guys do and how do you do it? Uh, I am living the dream. First of all, anyone that says uh, you know you, you love getting out of bed in the morning, going to work—I mean, this is this is literally the dream. Uh, White Mountains Community College. We're in northern New Hampshire. We're uh, about an hour from the Canadian border. Just to let folks know, uh, I was talking earlier with Erica. You know, you're over in Maine hiking. Sometimes we are the the home of hiking and skiing and, and tourism in New Hampshire uh, and really the region. And we're uh, we're a small community college. We represent really the top half of the state from North Conway and Littleton and uh, cover a lot of geography for our students and have uh, roughly a thousand students or so in, uh, in all sorts of programs from technical and trade-based to uh, liberal arts, health science, and otherwise. So just excited to be here and uh, spend some time with both of you. So do you get Canadian students? Do you get a lot of Canadian students to come down or, or do our students go up? I mean, do you have any trades with Canadian universities? Or are you pretty, pretty US-based? So we do not have any international students. Uh, you know, some of our students do transfer on, go on to you know Canadian schools. Which uh, last year uh, during the pandemic, our our student senate president transitioned and transferred up to, to Canada, but wasn't allowed to come back and speak at graduation, which we invited her to. So we had to video her in. So that was should have known better. No, no, no. Yeah, really. we should have known better. But uh, you know, we we have a unique relationship recently with Saint Jerome University. Uh, just over the border, and uh, we're partnering with them on an electric vehicle technology program. Canada is so much further ahead on the EV piece than we are, so we're we're borrowing their curriculum and setting up a pathway to go up there. 
So, ta- so okay. So, give us a idea of the ge- geography here. Or would you consider um, White Mountains Community College rural, uh, suburban? Give us an idea of you know your your classification and how you recruit and what the landscape looks like. Sure, definitely rural. First of all, New England in general is rural. New Hampshire is rural. We have you know 1.3 million people in New Hampshire. That's the state. Uh, the top half of the county uh, counties three counties, roughly 4,000 uh, you know square miles. So it's you know the top half of the state. But we're recruiting from Vermont and Maine as well are coming over. Some of our programs will bring students up from Massachusetts, and we have some local housing options here. And uh, you know we have, for example, in New England, we have the only accredited diesel heavy equipment program. So these are our students who are working on trucks, they're technicians. So we have that anchor program. Uh, and students, you know, it's not, it's not atypical for our students to drive an hour, hour and a half to class each day. Uh, they're just used to driving because, you know, they may do that to go to the grocery store. It's 45 minutes or an hour. It's just, that's how remote some of uh, our students are living. Wow. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's good. That paints a picture of, of grit too, right? Because your yeah. students got to be gritty to get there, to get to school and, and do that whole thing. I tell you, I'm a, I'm a student of uh, Angela Duckworth, you know, grit. I'm sure you've probably done some work with her, but, uh, you know, our first commencement within the pandemic, that's all we talked about was the resilience and the persistence. You know, we argued our students were, were gritty before the pandemic, and they still found a way to, to get to class and, and solve some of the, the work challenges and, uh, and family issues going on at that time. So they're, they're gritty, they're hardy. And uh, as I mentioned, it's, you know, it's late April and it's still snowing up here. So uh, you got to be gritty to live through a long winter. Speaking of gritty, my guest co-host, Erica Leodis, would you like to come in? Yeah, so I was actually doing a little cyber stalking before this interview. Hope you don't mind. And I saw a news clip of you talking um, about the shortage of nurses and healthcare workers and some of the work that you at White Mountains Community College are doing to help fill that gap in the workforce. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing and and how you're responding to that? Yeah, certainly. I mean, workforce is, is the, the buzzword that's overused way too much right now. And uh, everyone needs employees, including the college, by the way. You know, we're, we're supposed to be the ones supplying employees to all these uh, great employers in the area. And we also need employees. So we're understaffed. But uh, healthcare specifically, as we know, uh, a ton of burnout, a ton of turnover. And uh, we were chronically understaffed in healthcare before the pandemic. Uh, so one of the things we've done is, uh, first of all, we have a nursing program. We continue to uh, to expand that. And we, we started uh, an LPN program, uh, which really is a, is a borrowing from within the community college system. There is a system of colleges, seven of us in New Hampshire, uh, River Valley Community College in the western part of the state had an LPN program. And what they've allowed us to do is use their curriculum, i.e. their accreditation, which is the hard process of creating any new program. So we said, all right, it's really River Valley's program. We're going to put on the White Mountains Community College campus to solve some of that need in the North country. It really saved us years of getting accreditation approval, hiring the faculty, going through that process. So uh, really a true partnership with River Valley Community College. They've scaled it up to Lakes Region Community College as well. Uh, And we just got approval and $2.6 million from the state of New Hampshire uh, to scale that to all seven community colleges and really continue to uh, chase down that, uh, that healthcare shortage. 
Wow, that sounds like a, a really smart way to, to solve the, the challenge in a quick, efficient manner. Um, so during my cyberstalking, I also realized or recognized that um, it sounds like you come from a teaching background yourself. Is that right? Did you used to teach business and leadership? Yeah. So first of all, you know, I went to Keene State College to be a teacher, a phys ed teacher, albeit, uh, you know, 20 plus years ago. And uh, once I came out and started working in higher ed, I also pursued other degrees and started teaching, first of all, at the community college level, now at the graduate level and uh, business and leadership. And, you know, it's one of those, you know, the, the sign behind me, people can't see the live in the dream. It's the, you know, the why you do what you do. You get to share your craft, but it also keeps us fresh. We've got to go out and whether it's cyber stalking like you do all day, or if it's actually you know, reading, you know, peer-reviewed articles, it's, we're always trying to learn a little bit and share our craft. We're going to have to talk about the cyber stalking thing. Eric. Yeah, it makes me feel dirty. First of all, Eric, I just feel like I need a shower after this. Okay, <laughs> technically wrong. it was research. I was researching you. <laughs> I wanted to cut, you know, Joe likes to come to these conversations unprepared. I like to come prepared. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I like. Oh, oh, suddenly no sound effects. Interesting. Uh, I, well, I, yeah, I, I didn't know how to react. I was not prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> thank you. That's See, fire. the dishing goes both ways, Joe. Yeah. Um, talk to Chuck. You know, um, community colleges. It's been up and it's been down. The enrollment, you know, down ten percent during the pandemic. For rural community colleges in particular, I think it was even worse. Students, especially when you have commuter students at a 45 minute to an hour distance, it's really easy to find a bunch of reasons that you can't make the drive to school. It's not even the fender bender you got in last week, which would happen in normal circumstances and you get a $300 bill for students, maybe from a lower economic background who just go, you know what, I, I can't do this anymore. This, these things are overwhelming for me. But you add in the pandemic, you add in the enrollment declines, you add in the rural situation that you're in, What's the outlook and how are things going with getting students back, re-engaging them uh, at all levels? I mean, t talk about that work that you're doing, because I know it takes a village. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, there's several angles to this. First of all, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. 10% decline over the last couple of years with community colleges. We've been more in the 5 or 6%. Uh, you know, just I hate to say it this way is two things. One, you know, we are the only game in town. There is not another higher ed option. So if students want to go to college, they are coming to us, number one. Number two, we have what I call the worst business model in the universe. We have to be all things to all people. If there is a, a new employer that moves into the area, we've got to find a way to solve that workforce demand. You know, if, if there's someone looking for a program, we have to solve that. So, uh, you know, as far as access for our students, the best thing that has happened is the federal money that's poured in here. Uh, you know, I, I always say my this year, my magic numbers are 54. 54% of our students are Pell eligible. Over half of our students can show up and essentially go to college for free. You, you pile on on top of that federal funding and students were frankly getting paid to go to college college these last couple of years. That has been helpful. We have been you know, talking with our K-12 counterparts and, and folks out in the workforce to make sure they know that's available. The other 54, the second is our graduation rate. We, I've got to check iPads this fall, but I'm pretty sure we're leading New England again with our graduation rate at the community college level. So what that means is when students find their way in the door, we are keeping them. We have a customized one-on-one -on -one approach with students, whether it's helping solve life issues, Food insecurity, we, we solved that this year by offering free meals for all students. I'm pretty sure we're one of the first ones to do that, free meals for all of our students. Uh, and for us, it's about getting them to that stage 
to, to get their diploma on graduation day, but also put them in the workforce. You know, I just spoke to my nursing class this morning after they took their ATI exams. They all have jobs. They all have jobs already, already hired, ready to go before graduation. So uh, that's our role. And it's a, it's a big one, but it's a very important one. You know, it's really uh, interesting about what you said about having the worst business model in the world. So true, right? Because you have to do everything that everybody wants you to do. But I wonder if the consequence of that is also being very nimble, which higher ed is not. And, you know, business comes in and you got to create a program for them. There's no other, nobody else in the region that goes, oh, we'll do it faster. So you guys have to be that fast. And you have to be at the mercy, so to speak, of the business, which is expecting you to move as fast as the business does, which higher ed typically doesn't. Totally agree. And first of all, I, I agree. higher ed, we, we do not move faster than anything. it's got to go to committee, right? Something has to go to committee somewhere to, oh, to committee. slow this thing down. But, uh, you know, responding out to industry, I think we've got some new tools in our tool bag, whether it's on the, the non-credit side of the house, apprenticeships have gotten real popular. That way it's an earn and learn because you're right. People need employees yesterday. They can't wait a year or two years for people to go through a program. So uh, we've created some new apprenticeship models. You know, one of them's with a medical assisting program down at Memorial Hospital about an hour from us and said, all right, you need to hire them now. They're working now. We'll figure out the education along the way and we'll count their clinical hours as they're working for you. So it's, we've got to solve it in a different way. You know, they, they need the employees yesterday. We need to solve your cyber stalking in a different way, Erica, but you can come back in for questions. What you've described there sounds like a real win, win, win for uh, everyone involved. Um, you know, thinking about the workforce. So workforce is on my mind a lot this year because over at AFIT, um, our learning design this year is built around talent and the future of work. And one of the things that our members are talking about is how they are seeing this increased demand for autonomy and flexibility from their staff. And so I'm curious to know um, what's different from a staffing perspective um, now and a cultural perspective now than before the pandemic. Uh, it's completely different. You know, I, I think there's an expectation of remote work, flexible work, uh, but it, it doesn't work for all roles. It, it just doesn't. We're a very labor intensive, hands-on type of, uh, you know, organization. So we're, we're balancing that. We're also, you know, we're understanding that our students, first of all, don't all want to come to campus all the time either. You know, where the student might have come three or four days in the past, they're coming one or two and factoring in a hybrid and online course, and you know, those types of things. So we're, we're looking at our schedule and reacting from a staffing standpoint, saying, you know what, Fridays at this moment, we do not have any classes. If you want to be remote that day, you know, balance out coverage with your, you know, your counterparts in your offices. So we're trying to react to that. Uh, I would not say we have been proactive. Higher ed has not been proactive in this space by any means. It was the emergency. It's a pandemic. And now, you know, we're trying to get people to come back and we're saying, wait a minute, we've got to, you know, what did we learn here? How can we, we factor in the remote, the flexible? And uh, one of our primary goals is to be an employer of choice. We want people to want to come work with us and being inflexible is not a great way to recruit people to the region. Uh, and I say that intentionally around recruiting people to the region. If someone's going to come and work here, they're relocating nine times out of 10. They're coming from somewhere else. So we're also we're recruiting the, the holistic, you know, are you coming with a family? We've got to, you know, find places for you to live and those types of things. So uh, staffing shortages are, are real. And it's about being, again, a, a true employer of choice with that flexibility. 
Well, I give you a lot of credit for being so responsive, because in addition to that challenge of trying to be everything to everyone, now you've got all of these everyone's with all of these different uh, needs and demands. Um, so I'm, I, I appreciate the challenging position that puts you in, and, and certainly your responsive um, approach seems to be a productive one. We're not, we're not perfect by any means. We're trying. And, uh, you know, we don't, we don't, every offer we make doesn't get accepted because someone's moving from a different state. But I think we're in a place where we know the variables and the tools we have to use and uh, we'll continue to evolve and, and continue to, to add more tools to that toolbox. We have to. I'd like to note that Eric has never given me any credit um, <laughs> still to this date. Uh, so so, so because of this, um, she is going to also play our game today. Um, Eric, I think you've played before. Have you played before Higher Ed Word Association? I have, yeah. Okay, on, the, on the last interview I did, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of Higher Ed Word Association with your contestants, Erica and Chuck. This is where I give you a word or phrase that is higher ed related or could be higher ed related. And you have to tell me what comes to your mind and elaborate and tell me what this means for you and your organization. Uh, Chuck, this is kind of springing on you, but you got to be on your toes here. But uh, I can tell that you're ready for it. And Erica, of course, um, since you're the guest co-host, you, can, you can't win. Uh, no matter what your answers are, but uh, but you could play anyway. So the first one, we're going to go to Erica first because you've played before and you'll get an idea uh, and we get our guests prepared. So the first one for you, Erica, is speed. Are you preparing your answer? I'm, I'm preparing my answer. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was cyber-stalking. You can't look it up on Google. Right, no. Speed. Um, you know, when I when I hear the word speed, I just think of um, in today's day and world how fast everybody, whether it's a college or uh, Netflix, how fast and responsive um, people have to be um, to their customers' needs, whether that customer is a student, a consumer, um, anyone else. So, so speed certainly seems to be um, important. Um, in terms of the mix of things that you're offering to your customers, you know, it, I think it's a double-edged sword because, um, like like Chuck was saying, in higher ed, we can't always react with this with the speed that we want. So, uh, kind of that double-edged sword um, comes to mind. Chuck, speed. Well, of course, my mind quickly went to the uh, the '90s movie with Keanu Reeves in it, one of my favorite movies of all time. But anyways, I'll leave unstoppable that bus. <laughs> Just don't go below 50. Uh, the, uh, the important thing I guess I think of is through the student's lens of how quick we are to get you know, email responses or students want to know if they've been accepted, gotten into certain programs or how fast they get their grades back. You know, I, I had nursing students at 930 this morning. They had a 70 minute ATI test. So at 1040, they wanted to, their grades right away. How did I do? Did I pass? And it is. It's instant gratification. Uh, and I think it's up to us in higher ed to make sure that that is there because that's the student's expectation. Hey, everybody, head over to www.edupexperience.com, our website, where you're going to find all of the episodes that we've recorded categorized so that you can ensure that you're spending your time listening to the podcasts that are most important to you. You're going to see the reviews of our podcast, the shows in our network, our partners, and a section on starter episodes. If you're new to the Edup Experience, listen to those starter episodes and get a feel for how the podcast has evolved over time and our impact in the world www.edupexperience.com. All right, Chuck, now that you're warmed up, uh, this could be an extension of that, but your next one is innovation. 
do I get this one first or do we go to Stalker Stalkerson there? No, you got to take this one first. <laughs> I've gotten a bad reputation Erica, on this, this interview. Because this episode is going to live on let's forever. Let's edit out day. everything on this interview. <laughs> well, we're not 30 seconds left of content. I don't know that we could do that. But uh, innovation, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the old Gretzky skating to where we think the puck is going to be. And, uh, you know, sorry for the sports analogy, but I, I just think it's, you know, if we spend all of our time trying to catch up and be reactive, as we were just talking about, we're, we're almost staying afloat where we'd like to get in front of this. Uh, so if it's a new academic program, if it's a new partnership, if it's a new way to, you know, finding grant funding to support all of our students' basic needs uh, for, for food insecurity, I think we've got to get in front of things. And I, I use proactive, uh, you know, as another term with innovation. So it's, it's getting in front of, uh, you know, what, what else is coming. Uh, sports al- uh, analogies are allowed. Uh, you did uh, coach men's basketball. Is that correct? You got it. What did Erica just text you that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Chuck. I can't wait to have you come co-host with me. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Erica innovation. Well, innovation's a great word. It's in our name, the Alliance for Innovation and Transformation. And, you know, when I think innovation, one of the things that we do and really our our purpose for being at AFIT is to introduce community college presidents like Chuck, like so many of our members to innovative ideas, but from learning partners outside of higher education. So our members are often learning from Apple and Microsoft and Kimberly Clark Healthcare and Southwest Airlines to learn about the models that they're using. And that helps inspire innovation within higher education by learning from those models outside of higher education. So that's what I think of when I think of innovation. Okay, next one for you, Chuck. 21st century skills. 21st century skills, you know, I think the easy part, the softball you just threw me is skills, right? Focusing on skills, not degrees, uh, and, and understanding that uh, people learn skills in a variety of ways and places. So, you know, I, I've seen a lot of research recently that employers are getting rid of the bachelor's degree requirement or, or certain degrees, and they're looking for skills. So it's important for us to say, how do we look at, uh, first of all, assessing skills? So whether it's prior learning assessment, using experience to align into stackable credentials and being able to award those, uh, but also the, the soft skills, which I, I, I hate saying soft skills. It doesn't mean that there are some skills that are hard. I call them life skills of how do you balance in the, the technical skills with the, the time management, the showing up on time, the ability to you know, run a meeting and some of those balances. So in the 21st century, skills are gonna be less about paper and diplomas. They're gonna be about being a, a holistic, a well-rounded person, but also being able to have a, a tangible trade simultaneous with being a, you know, a, a person with life skills, which I'll, I'll get away from the soft skills thing. I don't like soft skills, life skills. Erica, this same same one to you, 21st century skills, and you've talked to a lot of learning partners out there in this space. I'm sure you have some good insight on this one. Yeah, so the first place my mind went was kind of back to workforce. Um, So much is changing in higher ed that what a lot of our members are seeing is that their staff don't necessarily have um, the right skills or the up-to-date skills in order to be able to continue serving the institution of the future. And so we talk a lot about reskilling and upskilling and making sure that um, folks stay current so they can serve students to the best of their ability. Love it. Okay. So this last one is kind of a repeat now that you guys just got ahead of me, but it was upskilling, upskilling, Chuck. 
upskilling and in the I'm going to add a word. I don't know. I'm, I'm new here, but I'm going to change your game. I'm going to add reskilling uh, with upskilling. Oh yeah. I try to you know. First of all, the North Country here, we, we were major in hospitality and tourism. And you know what happened to that sector during the pandemic. And a lot of folks just have not returned and don't plan to return. So we've got this group of people that don't necessarily want to upskill into that industry, but want to reskill and go into another industry. Uh, and we have, you know, obviously healthcare, municipals, education. We've got, you know, other places here. So people, it, it's about, you know, identifying what people are interested in, providing the just in time training. And making sure they've got a job right after that upskilling or reskilling, depending on which direction they're going. Uh, back, to your, back to your upskilling piece. I mean, it, it also depends at which level of the career ladder they want to, you know, manage and, and wind up at. I love it, Erica. Upskilling. Yeah, I mean, the first the first word that comes to mind when I hear both of those terms is is opportunity. And and Chuck really nailed it um, with talking about, you know, thinking about what people are interested in and kind of helping them get to that new future through these uh, upskilling and reskilling opportunities. Love it. Well, you guys are uh, awesome at this game. And I would like to tell you that you've won nothing today here on the End Up Experience Podcast. <laughs> But did I beat Erica? I mean, did I win somehow? Of course. Yeah, yeah, the guest can't win. The the guest only wins. The guest co-host cannot win. So undefeated. (laughs) It doesn't matter whether you're. Congratulations. Great. Yeah. Congratulations. One hundred percent. Uh, all, all the, uh, all the praise goes to Chuck on this one, but you know, um, the, the reason I like higher ed word association is because it brings up a lot. You know, you just one word and then you just get these insights. The the funny thing about, you know, going back to our, our previous theme, when we were talking about being all things to all people. And you've got a statement on your website that kind of says it. And it says, whether you're a recent high school grad preparing for the workforce or planning to transfer to a four-year college or university, or an adult learner looking to upgrade upgrade skills or start a new career path, we have what you need to be successful. And that is it, right? That's that statement. The funny part is... And we're battling in higher ed, or maybe not battling, we're in this degree or no degree space. You know, degrees aren't worth as much as they used to be. You can go to, you can become Elon Musk without a college degree. How many Elon Musks are there? Do I, should I get a college degree? What if I never use it? Is it worth taking on? Community colleges, I think in particular, are right at the center of this because you do both very well. You can upskill and reskill, and you can offer a degree. And I just go, Chuck, how do you work through this value conversation with students and where does it end up? And is it all over the place? I mean, just it's a fascinating thing, especially, and this is a a long question, when you add in um, uh, people of color, lower economic backgrounds, where we say the path to generational wealth is through education, simultaneously say, don't go get a degree. It's not, there's no ROI. What do you do? I mean, it's, it's a tough situation. Yeah, I mean, that's the age old question. You're right. I mean, from our mission statement to really our our personal vision and belief of, you know, this is this is not a scalable answer by any means. It is one person at a time It is case by case and understanding what their ultimate goals are. We can talk about social and economic mobility all day long and the importance of, you know, education, but it's also personal development. What do you want to learn? Do you want to be better? What is it you envision for yourself and your family? We've got to start with those real foundational, I'll call them citizen questions. You know, right before we get into, well, here's the path to get there. We can map out a path for anybody, any time of the week. 
But unless we understand personal goals and where they want to be professionally and what they ultimately want to accomplish, we can't work backwards from a pathway. Uh, so it is, it's a, it's a, we have an intake and onboarding process that works with one student at a time. We then go through orientation, we do all of the pathways, and it is not necessarily a degree pathway at all times. It could be simply personal development, a few modules from different areas, and they are off and running their own business. You know, that's probably one of the best answers I've heard to this value question, that it's not, the answer is that it's not scalable. No matter what answer any of us can give, it's still down to the individual. It's it's their situation at that time. That individual's particular needs will be different a year from now or five years from now. So it's not even just based on the individual, it's the individual's point in time, right? And so you totally. think about that, it's, a, it's not scalable. So this conversation we're arguing, I would say, we do argue about it. You see these LinkedIn posts all over the place, degrees are worthless and, you know, do, and it's like, for who? For this, who are we talking about? And it, but it does create a lot of noise for students, don't you think? You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it, it's not degree or no degree and maybe it's somewhere in between, but it, you know, it's it, to your point about being, it's just, it's not scalable, but, uh, we have to, this is a labor intensive organization and business model. And that's why we have so much. I mean, 77% of my budget is personnel. That's why, because we are spending so much time with, with individuals one-on-one. -on -one. And oh, by the way, once they start classes or once they're into a training program, we're now spending so much time with them, understanding learning and assessment, making sure they're walking away with competencies. So it's throughout the entire life cycle. And we have many students who will come leave, come back and, and, you know, in and out. And if we don't build those relationships on, up front to understand their goals and their needs, this, they just will not be successful. So that's why it is not scalable, but we've got a, we've got a model and, and I would argue community colleges in general, where we understand that people are going to be ready at different times. And also that learning is going to look different for every single person. Gosh, I love that. The easy answer is to pick a side. The hard work is to look at each student individually. Right. I mean, it's truly that it's easy to say, oh, this way or that way. And it's so much harder when you get that person in front of you. Right. And I'm sitting in the seat where I'm supposed to say the degree is important. Right. That's job security. You're supposed to come here for the degree. But, you know, our mission is we're a community college. We are a resource for the community, whatever the community needs. That is yeah. literally why we're here. We're a resource. And the degree might be important, but maybe not right now. Sure. And right. That's what lifelong learning is. It's, it's just that, yeah, I mean, that's a fast, I could go on forever, but I'll, I'll bring Erica back in. Cause she looks like she's going to kill me. <laughs> she's done that's scrolling. not true. I'm sitting here smiling at both of you. That's oh. not fair. All right. <laughs> well, you know, this, this kind of treads on a conversation that we're having a lot at AFIT, you know, in, in terms of mapping out paths to personal goals, um, it, it treads on this conversation of, of inclusivity and accessibility. And, you know, one of the things we were talking about on our last CEO networking session um, was diversity, equity, and inclusion and, and what our different members are doing um, with regards to um, making sure that, um, that paths and, and opportunities are available, not just for all students, but for all staff. Can, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing in terms of DEI plans and programs at White Mountains? 
Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll broaden it a step further because the community college system as a whole has really uh, engaged in this work. You know, first of all, from our, our board of trustees all the way down, uh, you know, from uh, adjusting statements to uh, really forming committees looking at uh, training, education, uh, and also in New Hampshire, you know, we have we have several different communities. So Manchester and Nashua, New Hampshire, uh, have been uh, refugee resettlement areas. We we get a lot of uh, ethnic and, and, and racial diversity. There, where in northern New Hampshire, it's more on the socioeconomic and poverty. So uh, DEI looks different in different parts of our state. And I think we really have been intentional about recognizing that uh, and then removing barriers. I mean, that to me is, is really been the goal of DEI, you know, work across the, the, the world, hopefully, but uh, across the state for us. So, you know, understanding what are the barriers? Are they artificial or are they real and how do we remove them uh, and, and how do we level the playing field and, and that to us is where the work really starts you know getting some traction uh, and we spend time so this is you know whether it's within the classroom with our student supports uh, understanding where folks come through and, and, and you know I think that's something we've really been intentional about uh, throughout you know not just the last couple of years when it's been popular but really you know forever in, in the history of our mission. And that's that's really um, that's great to hear. And and you know one of the things that um, we are often talking about is how this is not just a one-time initiative, but really needs to be woven into everything um, moving forward. This is not just hey, let's do this one thing and then check a box, right? You're totally right. And, uh, you know, I say the last couple of years, yes, we were in the pandemic, and I think more people paid attention, certainly the George Floyd incident, you know, as awful as that was, and I think that brought a lot of attention. But, you know, I, I'm of the generation of going back to, you know, Rodney King, right? I mean, a lot of people think back to, you know, there was a big, you know, okay, what are we doing? How can we, you know, a couple of years, it kind of like flared up, and then now we shouldn't pay attention anymore. And, and you know, then it, it kind of comes back. And it's like, I hope it's here to stay this time. And I, I feel like people are really embedding this work and forming yeah. task force and looking at this and, and I do feel you know like this time it's here to stay uh, but I would also say I mean this this work is ongoing uh, and I we also call it DEIB is belonging you know there's a there's a it used to be and I don't want to go off on a tangent here of, of acceptance right or tolerance like you know we'll tolerate we'll accept but there's a there's a sense of belonging we've really you know tried to hone in on of you know we want everyone to feel like they belong as a member of this community uh, and we'll do whatever it takes to make sure people feel like they belong. Not that they're being tolerated. Someone says they tolerate having me around. How does that make you feel compared to the sense of belonging? So I, I think there's just some different terminology we need to work with as well. Well, the fact that you're leading graduation uh, rates in your state um, sounds like you're doing a good job of making sure that your students feel like they belong. Well, that's part of that customized approach, right? That's not scalable. We can, you know, send a message to everybody, yes, but it's the one-on-one, -on -one, it's the relationship building and, uh, and mentoring and coaching, I think, fits in there as well with our, our faculty and staff. So I'm curious, this is a little bit kind of off this topic, but um, what, what thought leaders do you look to? You obviously have a very inspiring leadership style. Who inspires you? Oh, you know, I, probably like like you and Joe. I mean, I, I probably cyberstalk too many people. Uh, you know, oh, good. I, so I'm not oh, the only yeah. cyberstalker on this call. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, call me old school. Uh, Angela Duckworth, Simon Sinek, uh, Daniel Pink. I mean, Randy Posh. God bless his soul. Uh, just his last lecture, I probably watch a couple times a year. Uh, you know, people. I, I just, I, I get a lot of my baseline knowledge there. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm literally just reading all day long and uh, it's, it's fun. You take one nugget away. It's uh, to me the, the most important nugget of the week. So. 
And of course, you listen to the Edup Experience podcast for all. Well, of I, I've only got to the four, 429th episode, so I'm two behind. I still got some work to do. Okay. Well, you know, you're ahead of the guy. I'd say you're still ahead <laughs> at this point. Um, just listen to the ones Erica co hosts, and you'll be good. Uh, but, but we Those like are the to, best ones. Uh, well, you know, they're, they're up there. Uh, <laughs> Kidding. Uh, uh, you're good. You're good. We, we, we love having you here. Okay. You know it. Uh, Chuck, we like to ask uh, the same two questions of every guest to end our episodes. I'm going to ask them both of you right now. You can take them whatever order you'd like. Number one, what did we not say about White Mountains Community College that you'd like to say? Events, website, programs, things, anything that's coming to mind, graduation coming up, plug, plug, plug your college. Number two, what do you see as the future of higher education? Wow. Uh, how much time do I have? Uh, an hour and a half, Erica's time. We're, we're on, uh, we're, we're, we'll sit and listen to you all day, right, Erica? You know, I, yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's automatic, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, you know, the, the quick thing to plug, you know, I'm, I'm not big on a PR. That's the one thing I, I learned when I was, you know, became president is you are the leading PR guy for the college. And I'm not much about, you know, talking about ourselves and what we do. But uh, one thing that should come up is, you know, we were invited uh, as one of the top 150 community colleges in the nation uh, for the Aspen Prize for Community College Excellence. Uh, we're very proud of that just to be invited. We are not, you know, moving forward into the top 25, but we're to be in the top 150. Uh, you know, it, it's exciting for us. It was a lot of work to do the application. If you're familiar with the application process and, you know, we had a whole team of people doing it. And it happens to be due like right at Christmas time, not ideal. I got to talk to those people, but uh, we were just, there was a lot of excitement around here of, you know what, our work is being noticed and a uh, small little town in Northern New Hampshire. So. I guess that's probably the most exciting thing to share. The future of higher education. Uh, this is, uh, if I had this silver bullet, I think I'd, uh, I'd probably you know, get invited to maybe one more of these podcasts. I don't know, maybe someday even as a, a co-host, but wow. uh, future of higher ed, I think it has a lot to do with skills. I think it has more to do with physical uh, places as far as employers, meaning uh, we don't re have to recreate the wheel as much. You know, we've spent the last, 50 to 70 years building out, you know, we're replicating essentially labs that exist out in the workforce. And we're saying, all right, let's take all the people in, let's have them work in labs here to train, and then we'll put them out into a real lab at work. Now, how come it can't happen at the same time? So instead of me spending $5 million on a you know, nursing lab, can they do more in the hospital and have the, the hospitals who have the money build teaching labs as part of that? So I, I think there's there's an opportunity there. I think there's uh, there's more to, to look at with the whole credit to non-credit. It used to be either you're getting a degree or you're not getting a degree. How come we don't people to this? He's cutting out. And students are students. They don't have to be. Chuck, Chuck in, in true um, podcast fashion, we have a technology error and you cut out your feed cut out there for a second, right when you're getting passionate about what you were talking about. Oh, well, I'll go back to the, the credit and non-credits, probably yeah, where you lost me. You said it was unstable. I thought it was talking about me. I guess it's my internet connection. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm Yikes. unstable. I get that a lot. The, the credits and non-credit side, we used to have two sides of the house of, you know, you're doing non-credit, which to me sounds derogatory, like you're just doing training, it doesn't count for anything, or you're getting credit and you're on the right path, like there's a right and a wrong. So creating crosswalks to say, all right, you did this many non-credits, 
you, you come over into credit training and this is how we get you your, your badge, your certificate and your degree. And I mentioned badging because uh, you know, the micro credentials and badging are becoming very popular and being recognized by employers. Uh, and that's, we've gotten into that space with Badger, uh, you know, to, to do more of really packaging buckets of skills and saying they are worth this and explaining that this is transferable and it's digital and it lives with you forever. So I see higher ed really uh, finally catching up, <laughs> but also hopefully innovating and getting we'll you on uh, and partnering more with, with employers as we get there. Wow. Well, this has been amazing, you guys. Nice job. Even with all the the uh, technology uh, stalking, the uh, feed cutting out, and we still managed to make it uh, through this episode miraculously. Um, oh, yeah. The, I hit buttons simultaneously. That's how excited I am here as I'm trying to find the right stuff. But that's what I do. You know, no, nothing's perfect here at the EdUp Experience. What is perfect um, is my guest co-host. And she is Erica Leodis, and she is executive director at AFIT. Thanks for having me on, Joe. And Chuck, it's so nice to meet you. And I want to just say congratulations on being named a top 150 college by the Aspen Institute. Um, Actually, one of our members, San Antonio College, won the 2021 Aspen Prize. And for what it's worth, they, uh, Dr. Robert Vela, the president, shared with me that they had been on that journey for a number of years. So making it to the top 150 is an excellent first step. And I hope you continue on. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I tell you, this has been, this has been a ton of fun just getting to meet you both, talk with you and, uh, you know, talk shop. I, I could do this all day long. This is the fun stuff, right? That's right. Likewise. Well, there he is, ladies and gentlemen. He, his name is Dr. Chuck Lloyd. Oh yeah. That's uh, that's the button we picked for you, my friend. <laughs> do you, how do you, how do you feel about that one? Oh yeah, the, yeah. He's president of White Mountains Community College. Oh, oh yeah. And he's, uh, how was your EdUp experience today, Chuck? I uh, loved it. Love to come back again sometime and uh, just talk shop with you both. Sounds great. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just EdUped.